The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, January 16th, the already over the Christmas presents edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family. And I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who's 12. We live in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, a contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is six, and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Nicole Cliff. I am an internet personality, uh, and I write for Slate's Care and Feeding column. I have an eight-year-old, Amelia, a five-year-old, James, and a -a two-and-a-half-year-old, Loretta, and we live in Utah. Hello, Nicole. We're so happy to see you here. We have a real care and feeding power duo. Oh, we're going to crush it. Today on the show, we have a question from a mom whose brother's attempted suicide is causing her to reevaluate her son's relationship with his uncle. Uncle's recovering, but can she trust him to look after her eight-year-old? We also have a question from a dad whose son is already asking for new toys after Christmas. Plus, triumphs and fails and recommendations. Let's start with some triumphs and or fails. Jamila. What do you have for us this week? So I have like a triumph-ish. I'm not sure exactly where to file it, but I'm going to go with triumph. My daughter has become somewhat, I don't know if I want to say condescending, but, uh, and we've talked about her passive aggression, which she inherited from me, which I inherited from my mom uh, not too long ago. But last night, there was some way in which I caused her some sort of minor inconvenience, right? And so I, you know, I apologized and I said, oh, I'm sorry, Naeem, I didn't mean to do that. And she says, oh, it's okay. I know you were just doing your best. Oh, and. God. she's been saying things like this to me quite a bit. And in fact, the other day she'd said, God, it was something that she'd wanted that I wasn't willing to give to her. And she said, oh, I understand. You you can't do everything. And I... (laughs) And as crazy making as it could be, I find it to be really, really charming. I have always wanted Naima to be empathetic. And one thing that I had not done a pretty good job at for a while was teaching her to be empathetic toward me. There were times where, you know, maybe something would come up with her dad or her stepmother or grandmother or brother. And I would talk to her about caring about them and thinking about their feelings. And I certainly told her, you know, always to be nice to me and to be kind to me. But I've really been working on her, like having an understanding of like what it means to be a mom who works or to be a single mom or to be a black mom or any of the challenges that are thrown my way and not to make her fearful that one day she will inherit them, but just to have some context like, hey, all my loved ones are doing their best. And here's where my mom is doing her best. And it's not always easy, but that it is now netted her (laughs) graciously uh, allowing for me to not buy her a new doll every single day, you know, or, or to play every game that she wants to play and for her to say, oh, it's okay, mommy. I know you're trying. So I'm gonna call that a little bit of triumph. I like it as long as it's not, yeah, mommy, I know you're doing your best. Yeah, no. Big difference. Very Big difference good. there. Very That's what my kids would deliver. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a major sass phase with my eldest right now, and I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it because it's limited, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's not out of control or anything like that. She's picked up, like, don't rush me and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, it's extremely, like, charming slash 
okay, but like, I can tell you're picking this up from other kids at school, which is great because, you know, Amelia is on the spectrum. And so, of mm-hmm. course, we encourage like her to be picking things up from other kids. But I thought I had a few more years before this back talk started. The sass thing can hit early. I've got, I get a lot so of- So early. Girl, girl. <laughs> and the face, girl. I like the idea that your children did not learn this from you. <laughs> you. This is definitely from Disney Channel. How could you accuse me of having been sassy in any way? Don't know where our children may have learned sass. No, no, no. It just comes from the sky. Yes. Like rain. Nicole, do you have a triumph or a fail for us today? I also have a triumphish fail. My husband and I both watch TV all the time. We're huge, huge TV people. We figure it's okay because I was raised in a home with no TV and watched tons of TV and I'm a functional human being. And my husband was raised entirely by TV and watches a ton of TV and is doing really well as a person as well. So we're like, you know what? This is going to be a TV family. And that's been Mm -hmm. great. And we've raised them almost exclusively on classic Scooby-Doo. This is Steve's favorite. I also love classic Scooby-Doo. That's been fun. And it has traditionally been a triumph because our kids are skeptical of everything and do not believe in the paranormal at all, which is a concern for me personally. I worry about demons, you know, like it's just one of those things. But the kids, you know, we'll take them to the mall around the holidays. My eldest, when she was like four, like points at Santa and she's like, that is a man in a suit and a mask. <laughs> because it's always a man in a suit and a mask. Did she like, try to take his mask off? Happily not, but she would okay. have gone for the beard if we'd gotten closer. But like, right. ditto the Easter bunny, like, everything. She has just been, like, very suspicious. So has my son. They are never going to believe that there are ghosts. Like, all that is great, except the newer Scooby-Doo's. Sometimes the ghosts and zombies are real now. Did you know this? No. Oh. This is a horrible development. Seems like a real betrayal of the ethos of Scooby-Doo. It's always been, oh, and if these meddling kids, you know, (laughs) and their dog hadn't come along. And suddenly we're in a situation where, like, they have to exercise a ghost or something like this. (laughs) And now the kids, I don't know. I don't know. I thought that we were doing a great job. And now I think that Scooby-Doo slash we have failed them as parents. So that's where I'm at this week. Are they now considering the possibility of the paranormal or are they like, no, you've just presented a show that doesn't work for us anymore? We've been uh, reading Roald Dahl books Mm -hmm. because I love them. He's a terrible person, but his books are great. And we started with the BFG. And now I'm answering a lot more questions about like, the bone cruncher isn't real. And I'm like, no, the bone cruncher is not real. There are no giants. But uh, no, I'm now answering a lot of questions about whether things are real or not. And we uh, had the Santa thing oh, no. last week but that was fine I didn't have to do it she was hanging out with her dad and she was asking a lot of like Santa questions like obviously children are incentivized to keep mm-hmm. believing in Santa mm-hmm. but you know she's a detective at heart because of the Scooby gang and uh, she was just asking a lot of you know follow-up questions about Santa and uh, she's eight so you know the kids they're gonna figure it out Um, And so Steve was just like, guess what? And I was a little annoyed because I kind of assumed we would huddle on messaging Mm -hmm. for that. The sort of like, guess what? We're all Santa Claus or whatever you choose to go for, like in this vein. I think he's never really wanted to do Santa. Mm. And so he was like ready to jump in and be like, guess what? But it went really well and she wasn't what upset. So that's a triumph for him. Uh, I'm legitimately shocked that Scooby-Doo now has actual It's upsetting. Beings, That's yeah. weird. It doesn't make Zombies. What's the point? 
what's the point? No, like it's supposed to be solving mysteries, not, you know, like not Shaun of the, the Dead. Not horror of an unknowable universe. <laughs> exactly. No, they have this Netflix show now where they're on like a Sunnyvale equivalent where there's like a demonic underneath and it's it's unacceptable are these actors or a cartoon again cartoons so they don't notice a change like if it was people we could be like oh it's a different thing oh but it's still recognizably the The scooby gang that's bogus wow great anti-recommendation there thank you please pay attention all right, uh, I have a fail this week. Oh! Um, it, in fact, relates to Sunnydale and the Hellmouth. Listeners certainly have heard ad nauseum at this point that we are watching Buffy with the kids. <gasps> it's been great, generally. Uh, we're now in season six. Definitely sort of the downhill trend of Buffy, but still great, uh, often on an episode-to-episode basis. So uh, this weekend, uh, in the middle of one of our weekend binges, we got to episode nine. And before the episode even starts, we're all sitting in the basement, all four of us, and Lyra just starts snickering. And she's like, season six, episode nine. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yeah. Okay, Lyra, thank you. And then we get to the DVD menu, and she sees the episode title, and she's like, it's season six, episode nine, and it's called Smashed. Nice. <laughs> what are you raising? And of course, Harper is like, what do you, what do you mean? mean? What's funny about that? Aww. Why is it funny that it's Why season it six, nice? episode nine? And I'm like, Lyra, come on, give it a rest. Like, let's just watch the episode. Stop. Do you think she Googled oh. season six, episode nine? Like, my daughter Googled no. sex to figure out what you were talking about. Oh, no. <laughs> so... Well, then we watched the episode, which has a sex scene in it, a somewhat infamous sex scene, as fans of Buffy may remember. Oh, yeah. And then, I remember. Oh, yeah. And then at the end of the episode, Lyra's like, oh, man, season six, episode nine, and it has that scene in it? Nice. And I, <laughs> I just fucking lost it. I was just like, oh, no. Lyra, I told you to knock it off. You do not need to be making stupid internet sex jokes in front of Harper. Oh, my God. Stop. And everyone, like, froze and looked at me. And obviously, I should have brushed it off. I should have just explained to Harper right then and there, Lyra's making a joke about sex from the internet. It is not that interesting. It is not worth a long discussion. But then I blew it up into, like, a huge thing. And then Harper could not stop asking questions about it. Oh, of course not. But I was just so annoyed in the moment. I was annoyed that Lyra couldn't read the room at all. Like it had been so clear how much I wanted her to just like give it a rest. But mostly I was just annoyed because it just drives me insane when Lyra like devolves into talking like she's on the internet, but in real life with us or with her grandparents or anyone. My husband feels the same way about me. Uh, Yeah. I like tolerate it grudgingly with adults. But with my 14-year-old, it just drives me nuts because yeah. it is like a stark illustration of my failure to keep her from living entirely on the internet. Yes. Uh, but it is like neither appropriate nor funny to make 69 jokes with your little sister and parents. Like, that's no. not cool. It's not cool. It man. may not be so, appropriate, but it is funny. Perhaps it's not It's great content. But to may your... she never listen to this. Anyways, I responded in exactly the wrong way and... And in the end, I got to explain to Harper what 69 is. Um, and I, uh, I just got to get a grip on the fact that Lyra is just extremely online and she always will be. And there's not a goddamn thing I can do about it. She's always going to be like, oh, big mood. And I'm just going to have to bite my tongue. 
Did you show her the American scene or was it more of a verbal explanation? It was more of a verbal, extremely vague explanation. Extremely vague. That's wise. That's good. That's good. That's good. Do you know what this reminds me of? I guess I've been, because we have binge watched this show many times um, because I'm a terrible parent. So the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt (laughs) was my daughter's favorite show. So That's just fun. imagine a very sprightly young child energy. You got to learn it that does. people whose middle name is Wayne are always <laughs> going to be running a sex cult. Like that's important information. Always. So just imagine Naima busting out with Pinot Noir, uh, Titus's famed single <laughs> in the middle of many places. Pinot Noir at the bar. Pinot Noir. But anyway, um, <laughs> but we watched an episode the other day when Titus was being boycotted by the social justice warriors. And they said oh, he was the number three episode. Hitler. Such a bad episode. but such a good episode. It's such a bad episode. But anyway, Kimmy had read the email. You know, she had corresponded with the protesters and they said, oh, great. We'll be happy to be there. Or something to that effect. And he's like, no, Kimmy, you're reading it wrong. The Internet talks like Chandler. <laughs> 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 and then she read it with all the, you know, proper sarcasm and got it. And so it's funny because my daughter, we went to go see the Friends pop up in Chicago. So now she's on a Friends thing and I'm preparing myself for her speaking like Chandler. Because she is very online. Oh, yeah. That's definitely the next step for your now sassy daughter. Yes. I mean, your empathetic daughter. Excuse <laughs> me. Sa- my sassy. Mom, could she you be any more overwhelmed? <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. That was really funny. All right. Before we move on, let's talk some business. Slate's Parenting Newsletter is the best place to be notified about all our parenting content, including Care and Feeding, the very column written by these fine women on this podcast right here, plus new episodes of Mom and Dad are Fighting. Also, it is just a personal email from me every week where I tell some stupid-ass story. Sign up at slate.com slash parenting email. And check us out on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It is a really fun community. We moderate it so it doesn't get out of control. I just booted someone yesterday. It was great. In Slate Plus today, we have a very special guest. Slate staff writer Ruth Graham will join us to discuss a recent parenting dilemma, which included a highly anticipated visit with friends and barf. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. I was inclined to just like, let's just go for it. And he was like, oh, think about what happens if she or any of us come down with it. And we just were really, really stuck. So I took it to Slate. To hear segments like that and, of course, to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. That's our membership program. It is a great way to support everything that we do at this magazine. For just 35 bucks for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and other lesser Slate shows. And, of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and other lesser shows and a ton of other great benefits. So support Mom and Dad are Fighting. Go to Slate.com slash Mom and Dad Plus and join Slate Plus today. Okay, on to our very first listener question of two today. It is, of course, being read by the one and only Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. My brother lives across the country but visits us frequently, and he and my son email back and forth regularly. My eight-year-old son is very close to his uncle, and they have often gone off together for day trips, such as fishing, museums, and mini-golf. My world was shook when, just a few days after he went home from his last visit, my brother attempted to kill himself by overdose of some pain medication from a surgery several months ago. Luckily, he was found in time, and after an inpatient stay for a week, he is back home. Physically, he's recovered and is now on anti-anxiety meds and seeing a therapist. Both his wife and I were completely blindsided by this. We had no idea that he was experiencing anything close to depression or anxiety. 
He said he did everything he could to hide it. It's been about two months. All seems well, but of course it's hard to tell what's going on in his head. We didn't tell my son about his uncle's suicide attempt, but plan to when he is older, as it is part of his own health history. So, here's my question. Is it ever okay to put my brother in charge of our eight-year-old? Is it ever okay for them to be together alone? For example, we had planned this summer that my brother and son would fly together to visit my husband for a week, while my husband is on an extended work trip. I love and trust my brother dearly, and know that the relationship between my brother and son is very valued by the both of them. On the other hand, the state of his mental health was a complete surprise, and there are many details that I don't know. Was this an ongoing addiction? What was causing his crippling anxiety? Etc. He did leave a note that I think would be very insightful, but his wife does not wish to read it or get it to me, so I do not have access to it, if it still exists. My brother and I have a deep bond, in large part because our experience with pretty bad child abuse. At the same time, I would never put my son in harm's way. Is there any chance that my brother would, unintentionally, be a risk to my son? Sincerely, broken-hearted mom and sister. This is a very difficult question. Um, I have a lot of competing thoughts about it. And as somebody who takes anti-anxiety medication and medication for depression, um, and I'm getting a new therapist uh, this week because I finally found one. I'm excited about that. I'm very sensitive to the idea that people who are dealing with issues of mental illness are inherently dangerous to our loved ones, to children, to other people in general. But I can't help but to think of an incident that took place in New York, the Bronx, I believe, last year, where a father who was in the throes of some sort of mental health crisis, perhaps one that wasn't quite clear to his family, uh, attempted a murder-suicide. He jumped on the train tracks with his five-year-old daughter, who miraculously was saved, and he passed away. And I know that that is not the norm for folks that are dealing with serious issues of mental health. But this is somebody who somewhat recently attempted suicide. I don't think that there's a reason to end or or suspend the relationship between uh, your brother and your eight-year-old. But I don't know that this summer coming up, which would be around barely a year from this incident taking place or the suicide attempt taking place, that you can say for certain that he'll be ready to take a trip like this without another adult or somebody there to be supportive or step in if he's having a moment and doesn't quite feel okay and perhaps needs to just step aside and and gather himself or, you know, take a walk or or call his therapist or his wife, uh, that there won't be anyone else there um, to take care of your child. So I would perhaps say, continue to nurture the relationship. I think breaking the relationship between your brother and, and his nephew, who he's obviously Uh, close to would be devastating for both of them. But I think that for the time being, it would be best that their time is spent together along with other people. Um, That's not to say that they can't go on an ice cream run or for a quick walk, but I don't think that a, a flight 
and a hotel and all the things that would go into this trip, just the two of them. I, I don't think it's really the best idea for that. As far as talking to your son, I think that you made the right decision in saying you don't want to talk to him about his suicide attempt. But I do think it also is a good time to start figuring out a script for him around mental health. It's possible that there'll be other people in the family or other people he'll come across who he loves who are dealing with these issues. He may have some issues with depression himself. You can perhaps work with your brother to come up with language. You know, what is he comfortable sharing? You know, as I've told my daughter, sometimes my brain feels sad and it doesn't match up with what's going on in my heart. I'm around you. So my heart is smiling. I have the things that I need. I'm surrounded by love and care, but my brain is sad and I have to take certain steps to silence the sadness and go on with my day. And that's not always easy. I think it would be good to provide some information for your son along those lines so that he's not completely outside of the loop, especially if, God forbid, something else were to happen. But I don't think this summer is the right time for the trip between the two of them. I disagree. Jamila, what you have to say about the way to talk about this with the letter writer's son is exactly right on. And I do think that being observant and sensitive while trying to continue this relationship as best you can is the right move. I just don't get red flags off this trip this summer. It's a flight together, but it's a flight together to visit your husband in a place where he is, where he will be to be a literal parent there for your son. Any trips out to visit the brother where he lives across the country, there's going to be his wife there as support. Like, it just seems like the risk is very, very, very low. And I think not anywhere near the level where I would think you need to, like, treat him as if he cannot ever be alone with this child. It's hard for me to imagine it's there. Now, here's one caveat that I would like to mention. I would ask some more questions about painkiller use. He OD'd on painkillers that he had been prescribed after a surgery. That's a very particular profile, which is very familiar to people who have relatives who have fallen into opioid abuse. You don't know whether he's struggling with any kind of addiction. You suggest that his wife is very naturally protective of him in this moment of crisis. That makes total sense. I would push as kindly as you can for a little more information on whether there is some addiction there or some abuse problem there. That, to me, would be a much bigger red flag than depression or even, honestly, a past suicide attempt. I know innumerable people with suicide attempts in their history, even in their recent history, who I would not hesitate to allow to spend time one-on-one with my children because I trust in the power of their relationship in the way that it seems to me this woman trusts in the power of her brother and her son's relationship. But Nicole, what do you think? I, like you, noted that really the only solo time that's being proposed at the moment is the flight. I wouldn't worry that much about just that phase of it. Um, I wouldn't want your brother to feel more isolated, more pulled away from his family. I think a lot of that work is going to have to be done by you over the next few months. You share a close personal bond. You've experienced childhood abuse together. His wife won't read the note. She may be protective of him, but I'm not sure that's helpful. And I think that if this is someone that you want to have a lifetime of, you know, connection and relationship with, I think you need to talk a lot more to your brother than you're currently talking. And I think that 
doing that is going to give you a lot more data points for making this decision, which doesn't have to happen right now. Yeah. What does have to happen is really getting into what was going on with your brother then and what's happening with your brother now. I just think you don't have enough information here is where I come down ultimately on this to make this call today. I think you should proceed as though the trip is happening and be on the phone or Skyping ideally with your brother so you can read body language, so you can see. Also, I mean, frankly, you know, there are physical signs when people are addicted to opioids. Um, and I think that if you are actually looking this man in the eyes once a week on a Skype call, you're going to feel a lot more secure or a lot less secure about giving the green flag to the trip. I think you're right. I think the unknown is really the thing that just kind of sits with me. And it, it, right. it's understandable that his wife is protective and there may be things about their marriage or about her, things that are in that letter that, you know, she has her own, you know, possibly very legitimate and fair reasons for not wanting the family to see. But this is your brother and he is going through something and has gone through something that could have been potentially life altering. And I think that you all should be communicating about that a little bit more clearly, which will be important for his healing and recovery as well as, as your peace of mind as it relates to him spending time with your child unsupervised. One other thing I'd add it sounds from a lot of the details in this letter like both you and your brother have needed therapy for a long time. I'm really glad that he's getting it now. I'm sorry that this is what it took for that to happen. But if you considered that if you're not already doing this, you could use someone to talk to about that childhood abuse too. I think it might help you navigate fraught situations like this involving your brother who you love so much, but who's also tied up in that very difficult childhood. 100% agree. Mm-hmm. We've had a few letters come in for the show and for the column from folks who mentioned having an interest or, you know, a, a need to get into therapy, but living somewhere where it doesn't feel like an option. But just a reminder that there are a lot of legitimate licensed practitioners that operate online that you can communicate with by phone or by computer exclusively without having to meet them in person. So please, letter writer, I urge you to take steps to seek therapy for yourself as well. All right. Thank you, Letter Writer, for sending in your question. I hope we were able to help. We'd love to hear from you in a couple of months once you've had those conversations with your brother that Nicole so wisely suggested you initiate and hear how it's going. If you would like us to help you out, email us at slate.com, just like this next Letter Writer did. And once again, this letter is being read by the great Shasha Leonard. Dear Mom and Dad, it's two weeks after Christmas and my nine-year-old is already asking for a new big thing a Nintendo Switch. Before Christmas, I told him he can either get his own iPad so he doesn't have to share with his five-year-old brother, or a Switch, but not both. He happily said the iPad and would wait for his birthday in July for a Switch. Now a bunch of his friends are showing off their new Switches, and he feels left out. He's asking us for ways to earn money, but a Switch with a game is $360, so it's hard to scale up enough chores to get to that figure. Also, I'd rather not pay the kids to help out. I'd rather they just help out. Alternately, I thought I could sign him up for some volunteer work and pay him minimum wage, but most volunteer organizations don't welcome kids under 14, which is understandable. The other wrinkle in all this is he will not be satisfied once he gets a Switch. Just like the iPad only made him happy for a short time, the Switch will quickly lose its novelty and devolve into fighting with his brother about game progress. 
the desire for more doesn't go away when you get more. That's a hard lesson to learn, and one I still struggle with. Part of me just wants to get him the switch so I can stop hearing about it. But that feels crazy to just give him this expensive thing. The other option is to try and come up with some Byzantine payment structure for a variety of odd jobs that a nine-year-old will perform poorly. What do you think? I have a lot of opinions on this letter. Namely, that you already know the answer, which is do not get your son the switch. That's ridiculous. Uh, Child, welcome to the human condition known as regret. If he was 12 or 13, I could see going for the Byzantine payment structure possibility with a switch at the end of it, not front-ended. But as it is, I think you're learning a lesson. This is, this sucks. This is life. This is, you made a choice. The letter writer knows it's not going to make him happy. The letter writer wants him to stop bugging them about it, which is very reasonable. And you should parent that. You know, you can tell kids to stop incessantly asking for something after they've been told no. It doesn't always work, but you can do it. If you get this kid a switch, I will come to your house and break it. I would just like (laughs) snap it in front of you, not in front of your child. It's not his fault. He's nine. He's supposed to be like this. Jimmy (laughs) Owen. My daughter asked me for a fucking switch yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get her an iPad for Christmas? (laughs) No, she's an iPad. Um, she essentially has two, one at dad's house. There's two there, one for her and one for her brother. And then the one in my house. So she got her big Christmas gift this year was a keyboard because she's taking piano lessons. And had she mentioned wanting a Nintendo switch, which I think had come up at some point about, you know, we asked dad for a switch. And to me, stuff like that is usually a dad's house thing. Cause there's two of them, you know, like if she gets a Nintendo, that means we have to play with it, which I actually kind of really, really, really want to do now. I did a virtual reality thing over the holidays and I'm like, wait, maybe we should have got a switch instead. But no, she's not getting one right now. As I reminded her, Christmas and Kwanzaa just happened and she's got plenty of new stuff to play with. I'm sympathetic with the nine-year-old because he made a really bad choice. He made a very bad choice because he already had access to an iPad and he could have had both an iPad and a Switch and now he just has yeah. one. And I appreciate Huge the tactical error. Huge oh, error. Unforced error. Huge error. It's like the guy in Lyra's joke who chose... <laughs> <laughs> he chose wrong. Um, I, he fucked up. He fucked, he up. fucked up. He fucked up. He fucked up big time. Uh, I will say, I would consider if there were a way to sell the iPad on LetGo or Craigslist or something and put the money toward a switch because I am weak. But I think that you all are making the right decision. But I think that if at some point between now and July that you absolutely feel I want to silence this, I think the switch would maybe be a better, you know, use of the money that I spent toward this gift because here's something that the two of them can do together that may buy you some peace in the house. I would just say you have to take the iPad away. It can't be a matter of you have them both anytime before July and not in June. You know, obviously at that point, just fuck it. But if you decide in the next few weeks to cave in, you have to take the iPad away. You cannot allow your son to have them both. I am so interested by the idea of telling the kid, sure, sell the iPad and then we'll put the money toward a switch. Like, I wonder what the kid would do. It's intriguing. I have no idea if it would work or if it's like the right choice, but what an interesting idea. I really want to know if he tries that. You're both right that basically the answer is, as the letter writer knows, no. (laughs) I want to address this other question that the letter raises. 
the bigger question, right? Letter writer, you're absolutely right that it is a hard lesson that the desire for more doesn't go away when you get more. It is a lesson that is hard for adults to learn, just like you. It's a lesson that was hard for me to learn. I don't always follow that lesson, even now at age 45. It's a lesson that pretty much every privileged kid struggles with, whether they know they're struggling or not. I do think that if it's something that really concerns you, that bothers you as much as this letter suggests, you do have the option of stepping it back a little, right? An iPad is a big-ass Christmas gift. A Switch is a big-ass birthday gift. Not every family goes that big on those occasions. And you could be a family that doesn't. That is within your rights as a parent. You could, for example, give experiences for Christmas and birthday, not things, right? Theater tickets or weekend trips or a day at the arcade or whatever. But you have the ability as a parent to do some things to define exactly how drowning in things your children are and how much these big ticket items are an expected part of their day-to-day life. It is a tough choice to make because it usually encourages more whining, not less. But if this is something that truly drives you crazy about your children and about your family, one solution is to not do it. And I want to encourage you to at least consider that solution. I like that. I'm glad we're addressing that. I think that that's uh, the question of like creating artificial scarcity, yeah. you know, for your child as a necessity when you are a person with money is, is really important. You know, if you can afford to like dole out switches, like there's no tomorrow, it, it is important to, to stop and be like, okay, look, also this kid goes to school with other kids. I remember, you know, growing up as someone who had substantially less money than other people in my grade, what it felt like to hear about what everyone else was getting, you know, and my parents did their very best and always did a great job at Christmas, you know, whatever that took, they made it happen. But, you know, also kids break things and you can make choices about whether you replace them or whether you wait and replace them later uh, or whether they don't get replaced. And these are all just things to be aware of as you are moving forward in your life as a parent, if you are someone who can afford to replace things or randomly buy a switch Less than one month after Christmas. Switches are fun as hell, though. Are they? Fun as uh, hell. Don't tell me, because then I'll... My sense is that this letter writer should buy a Switch for himself, but not... Ooh, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> not let the kids play I do not let myself play video games because I know that I cannot moderate mm. things that are designed to, like, flip the dopamine switches in my brain. When I was in high school, I lost a summer to Doom. (laughs) The only game console I ever had was a regular Nintendo. I was very excited to get it. I don't know. I enjoyed it, but I wasn't. I mean, I guess it was the same thing. Like we, I I went to mixed income schools, public schools, high performing public schools. So there were kids that were very poor. There were kids that were very rich. And we were somewhere on the, I guess, the upper half of the lower 25th percent. I don't know. Uh, We just lived in a nice neighborhood. So I was able to kind of hide our poverty. So one, not having money for the constant, you know, flow of the new games coming out um, and also not being super passionate about it. And then Super Nintendo happens. And like I experienced it at other kids houses. But since I didn't get one and didn't really push for one, like the whole world of gaming just from that moment, like from like 1994, just left me behind. So now it's just like a strange mystery to me. And I've dated men who gained, but like nobody who was like super hardcore about it. So I, I don't know, like to get back to the, the letter, because I could totally talk about games all day, even though I don't play them. 
the gratitude attitude is something that I'm constantly talking about with Naima. To have, you know, lower middle class parents who've had, you know, moments of highs and moments of lows, but have always had everything that we needed and much of what we wanted. And, and rather that she's always been able to get much of what she wanted, if not most of it. Being grateful and understanding, you know, I made a point of the Santa gifts. The gifts that I attributed to Santa were the more modest ones because I'd been reading about when kids go to school and compare notes. Santa gave you a Nintendo Switch and Santa gave me a new coat. Right. And so because that kid so important. drastically needed a coat and that's what the parents, you know, gave to them from Santa. And so I, that I did not want her to compound anyone else's stress or grief over what they could or could not get for the holidays. And with that, creating the idea of scarcity when it's not there or just, you know, I can buy this for you. And I've had to tell Naeem this. Once she said something about like, well, I know you don't have the money. I said, oh, no, I do have the money for this. I am not going to spend the money on it. And here's why, you know, and there are times where it's just kind of like maybe you need to just feel like it's too expensive, right? You need to have a concept of things cost money. Work has to be performed to get money. You know, you don't work. So the adults are working and we're just not going to be able to do that. And other times it's just like, no, but also being thankful and being appreciative, not just the idea of, hey, you just got something that's too much stuff. But do you appreciate that you received something that a lot of kids would have wanted to have had and either their parents chose not to or could not get it for them? One other thing I'd add, you don't mention letter writer that your child is getting any allowance. So I don't know exactly what the situation is with that. But if the only way that this kid has to make money is to try and come up with additional things to do. I do think that at nine, it's really worthwhile for a kid to be getting an allowance. It shouldn't be big. It certainly should not be anywhere near big enough to buy a switch, but it shouldn't be zero either. I, on the show many times before, I've gone to bat for Ron Lieber's method, the one-third, one-third, one-third method. I love yep. it. We're not doing it yet because... Our kids are just not having these conversations yet. I love the method. I believe in the method. Wait, explain the method. It's just a good way to get kids to get a sense of what money is and how it accumulates and the choices you have to make in spending it. You give the child an amount of money per week that is equal to their age in years. So a nine-year-old gets $9 a week. $3 of it is for spending. $3 of it is for saving. $3 of it is for charity. And they make the decisions about what the big thing is they're saving for. They make the decisions about what the charity is they're giving it to. And they make decisions about how they're going to spend that $3 each week. I just find it's really useful. That also sort of takes the load off you trying to figure out, oh, how do I get my kid to earn money? It's not about chores. Right. It's about, well, this is the money that you get as part of being this family to learn how money works and to work on spending and saving on your own. But this is your budget for extra, so you got to deal with that. Uh, I, I think that. it's so wise. It's easy to explain. It scales great with age. I remember a moment my mother just like, apparently like blacked out and thought we were in the 1950s again. She saw me buying candy and she was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm buying candy with my allowance, which was like, you know, a toonie because we're Canadian. She lost her mind and fell through time and was like, you shouldn't be spending your money on candy. I said, what should I be spending it on? <laughs> like I'm eight years old. And uh, she said, you should be saving to buy a basket for your bike. And I was like, I don't have a bike. I just read indoors all day. But uh, it was just one of those great generational moments where people just lose the plot completely. You should be investing in a mutual fund. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you for reaching out. Um, once again, if you have a question for us here at Mom and Dad are Fighting, email us at momanddad at slate.com. Let's move on to the part of the show where we recommend a thing that we like. It's a part of the show I like to call recommendations. Nicole, what are you recommending this week? Contigo water bottles for kids. They come in a two-pack. It's blue and orange. It's very convenient for my kids because the orange is not pink, which would be fine. There's nothing wrong with pink. But uh, right now it corresponds beautifully to just like, here, those are the two that go to school. And so I just like that they fit in any small like pocket on the sides of a backpack or a book bag. They're easy to wash. They're both like dishwasher friendly, the, the top and the bottom. Uh, they do not leak. You have to press a button actively as you're drinking. I love them. Good recommendation. Love it. Jamila, what about you? I'm not late to this party. I'm just overly enthusiastic about it. So nice. cauliflower is a thing. As you all know, right now, it's everywhere. So cauliflower is the new kale. And it's been this way for um, maybe a year or so, like a while, right? Like you've been able to get minced or riced cauliflower or mashed cauliflower from a grocery store that was like pre-made. And Trader Joe's, of course, is so on it with all things cauliflower. They have a cauliflower tot casserole that is not healthy per se, but it is so freaking good like like have cauliflower au gratin they have so many pre-made cauliflower dishes that are so super good and if you're like me and really struggling to cook because you don't feel like it can't tell you why i haven't really been cooking so my apartment is kind of a nightmare which i've mentioned before it was a good deal to need a lot of work and five months in i'm still putting a lot of work in and so one of the things that needed work were the trays in the oven. I sprayed them with oven cleaner because they were kind of yucky. And then I left it on overnight thinking I could just like soak it in there. And I was like, oh, I rusted them. I ruined them. So I threw them away. And then I ordered some new ones on Amazon, which is great, except for they were the wrong size. So I haven't been able to use the inside of the oven. <laughs> and I just have not gotten, I just keep forgetting like, okay, I need to figure out the actual, I might end up having to buy a new oven. I don't know. But in the meantime, there's a lot of stuff going on on top of the stove. And in the microwave, there are all these great Trader Joe's pre-made cauliflower dishes. And I'll just briefly share that when I was home, we went to Chicago last week because LA kids get three weeks for vacation, which is insane. Unacceptable. Insane. It's so... A nightmare from hell. It's a nightmare. Like, to be fair, as a joint custody mom, you know, I wasn't on the hook for all of those days, but I took on more of them, uh, partially because we You're were... living the dream. Living the dream, right? Momming part-time is the best mommy. But, like, I also work from home the easiest. So I, I took her a few extra days, and I took her for a week to Chicago. And so when we were there, I got very high, which was legal in Chicago, too. So I'm always legal when I talk about my pop mom, Miss Adventures. I got very high and I went to the Trader Joe's in the neighborhood where I grew up, which used to be our food co-op. It used to be the Hyde Park co-op. It was owned by some hippies and now it's a Trader Joe's. I just wanted to shout out the Hyde Park Trader Joe's because it is delightful and they're curating a whole culinary experience for you at the sample station. And now that you can legally smoke weed in Chicago, you should do that and then go to Trader Joe's to buy your cauliflower tot au gratin and you should have some snacks while you're there. Tim, I can't even walk if I'm high. I don't know how you would get yourself out of your house, down the street, to a store, 
navigate the aisles, not get scared. You got to smoke on foot. Well, that's the other thing, because I'm not a driver. And now that I'm buying a car, I think next month, I won't be able to experience all the fun and folly with marijuana that I've been able to have in the past 12 years since I was a a car owner and I lived in New York, so I didn't have to drive. But I walked to the grocery store and I Ubered back. So I only do it at my mom's where it's legal and she will make me snacks on demand. I deeply love this extremely specific recommendation of getting high, going to the Hyde Park Trader (laughs) Joe's, eating snacks, and buying their cauliflower au gratin. It's a whole experience. Yes. My recommendation today is a double recommendation. It is a couple of Oscar-nominated movies that you might not have thought about as appropriate for kids, but which, in my opinion, are Okay, Dan, I'm sorry. Your child is making 69 jokes in front of (laughs) your younger child. (laughs) Those are from the internet, not movies. Not cinema. Not cinema. First of all, uh, Knives Out, Ryan Johnson's murder mystery, has been a huge hit. But maybe you didn't think about bringing your kids to this movie, but actually tweens and teens love this movie. It is an enormous hit. Honestly, they've all played Clue more recently than you have, so they're probably more into the whole thing. Uh, Take your mature 11-year-old or older to Knives Out. It will be a big hit with everyone in the family. And uh, Parasite, Bong Joon-ho's movie, Parasite, just got eight Oscar nominations, including Best Picture. We watched it with Lyra. She really loved it, even though she did not like the sex scene, which admittedly is extremely uncomfortable. Oh, it's a very uncomfortable sex scene. But the movie was definitely another, like, I didn't know movies could do that experience for her, which I found very valuable. The last time she had that was with being John Malkovich. Um, I would say bring your mature 13 year old or older to Parasite as long as you are okay watching uh, not that sex scene particularly, but really some violence, like some fairly extreme violence, though really not worse than like Emperor Snoke getting cut in half for God's it sake. It really isn't. I think that's fair. With Parasite, I would recommend seeing it yourself first. It definitely raises some super interesting questions about class, which are always good to talk about with your kids. And Knives Out is just like, you know, a total blast. Like they will enjoy every second of it. This probably should have been my recommendation because it's so much more kid friendly and better than like just getting high and eating cauliflower. But (laughs) you said Oscar nominations and I could not help but to think about Matthew Cherry, who's a former NFL player turned director and filmmaker who's got a delightful short called Hair Love. It's about a dad trying to tame his daughter's very bushy afro while her mother is going through something where she's unable to take care of her hair at the moment. And it's really, really sweet and adorable. It's based on a very sweet and adorable and beautiful book. My daughter loved both the book and the movie. And congratulations to Matthew, who's an extremely online person, who is now an Oscar-nominated online person. You can watch that movie online. Also, many cities with art house theaters will have the Oscar-nominated shorts coming to those theaters later this month. That's the thing I've recommended on the show before. I recommend it all the time. Take your kids to the Oscar-nominated animated shorts. It is a great evening out. That is now our show. Get high and go to Trader Joe's before you go, and then go get That's the kids, and then take Fantastic advice. If you have a question you'd like to ask us on the air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or email us at Dad at slate.com join us on facebook just search for slate parenting mom and dad are fighting is produced by rosemary belson for jamila lemieux and nicole cliff i'm dan coyce thanks for listening hey drew scott here and i'm jonathan scott reminding you that life's better with a home policy from american family insurance they can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto 
Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.